1: Hello and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. More about me at rajbalkaran.com. More importantly, today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Radha Ragunathan. She is a, an author, critic, an independent researcher. Uh, she's also the director and general editor of the Adyar Library and Research Center. We'll be speaking about uh, a fascinating uh, uh, translation work of hers, uh, In the Wisdom Chariot. Um, um, Radha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. My pleasure. So um, this work of yours, uh, could you tell us a bit about uh, the Wisdom Chariot, the, the Jnana Ratnam? What, what is this work in its original?
0: Jnana Ratam translates as the Wisdom Chariot. John Bunyan has translated as the Celestial Chariot, but basically we take it as the Wisdom Chariot. It is a fantasy novella by the Tamil poet, writer Subramanya mahakavi Subramanya Bharatiya and then in this he uh, takes, uh, the, the protagonist takes a fantasy ride to different worlds and he re- relates his experiences in those worlds. This is the basic, uh, uh, um, uh, the, uh, what do you say, the spread of the whole work. It's a small work but it has a lot of layers woven into it. Literary, mythological, philosophical, social aspects, all of them are interwoven very subtly and uh, non-interferingly in this whole book.
1: Can you say a word about the novelty of this, uh, of this genre, of this novella? Say a word about whether or not this is uh, new, are there, uh, other works like this in Tamil literature?
0: Uh, it was uh, Subramani Bharatiyaar who was the first one to introduce this genre of uh, the novel, that is the Roman Akhlef style of uh, writing short novels in Tamil, in Tamil I mean. And it was known only to the Western readers until then. And uh, he was the first one to introduce it uh, to the Indian audience, especially in Tamil. So This is the uniqueness of Bharatiyaar because he was a multifaceted personality who was very widely read, both in uh, the Indian literature as well as the Western literature. And he was able to bring the Western thoughts into his Indian
1: writings. Before we dive into some of the content, could you say a bit about the reception of his novel?
0: Uh, Bardhyar is widely read, well-known. And uh, he was a, a patriot, and a very fiery poet, a fiery writer, who was welcomed by all. And even today, he was most quoted by all because he set the tone for the modern literature in Tamil, the modern style of writing in Tamil literature. So he is, it's not as if people don't know about Bhargaya, but this particular book of Nyanaritam is not as much well-read or, or not as widely read as his other works are. Do you,
1: do you know why that is? You mean in Tamil? Uh, it's not widely read. Do you know why that is?
0: I think uh, it's because uh, there are too many uh, subtleties to be understood in this novel, though it is very enjoyable. Once people read it, then they will start enjoying the fantasy portion, the romantic, the romance of the whole novel. But uh, they may miss out on what he is trying to convey through this whole uh, the, uh, the whole romantic piece.
1: So what do you feel he's trying to convey, convey? What do you think, what do you feel the central, it's obviously a complex work with lots of strands, but what do you feel the central thrust of this work is?
0: For the lay person, it is an enjoyable ride into a, fan, a fantasy right to different worlds and different experiences but to a uh, to the person to the scholars they can go on unearthing so many subtleties which you know brings out you know, a, lit- a, a a literator would uh, see the beauty of the, the figures of speech uh, or the uh, the way he handles uh, uh, concepts in the novel the, a philosopher like me would uh, go very deep into the thoughts of philosophy, a social uh, reformer would uh, look at the social reforms that he's painting at. So there are two, uh, uh, it is something, you know, where everybody can have a piece of the cake. Uh, uh,
1: what sort of, um, uh, would you say there's an influence of religious uh, or, or Indic Hindu ideas in the novel?
0: Uh, no, uh, Bhardyar was an omnist. So even in this novel, he brings out uh, aspects. No, uh, I mean yes, primarily of Hinduism, primarily of the Indian society. He was more rooted with the, the Indian culture and the Tamil culture. So culturally, he is trying to present, you know, the picture uh, for people to relate to easily. But under that, you no, know, he brings uh, the things, and in some places, he even makes mention of Jesus as a prophet. As one who was known for his uh, uh, forbearance. So, uh, it is okay. Uh, Philosophically, yes, we can go on talking about, yes, he is talking about Hinduism, he is talking about uh, um, Vedanta, he is talking about our customs, but there is some universal thread also which is uh, stringing through the whole piece.
1: So then, you'd say in its original, it's not particularly for a religious or pious audience. Would you say that? Would you say that it's intended to be uh, uh, literature primarily?
0: Uh, yes, it is. Uh, it can be classed as literature, or you can class it as a, a social piece. But there is something for everybody in it universally. And when I say universally, relevant to all times. Not just to the times that he wrote it. He wrote it at a time when India was struggling for its freedom, for its independence. And he was uh, very vociferous uh, in his uh, demand uh, demand for freedom. And that also echoes here and there in uh, in this novel. But what he said then is relevant even today when we look at so many struggles that are going on in the world
1: you tell us a little bit about, uh, actually, no, I'll, I'll ask that next. Um, what are some of your favorite parts of the story? Uh, you know, uh, either as, as a reader or, you know, you obviously fell in love with the story before you decided to translate it. So what, what speaks most to you? What did you most love about this tale, this novella?
0: It is the, the beauty of the language, which is at once simple, but very profound. also With a profound thought being conveyed through very simple sentences, very simple style, and there is so much of, uh, everything comes to my mind, when I read, you know, portions in it, Keats comes to mind, then there is you know, Milton that comes to mind, and then there is, you know, the, uh, the politics of India, the political history of India that comes to mind, there's also uh, something you know which I could relate to, because at the very, at the very uh, beginning he says, how oh, nice it would be if I had a bar reading you know, the upanishad or shakuntalam uh, and go all the way to adyar and return now see the, everything there relates to the very uh, opening you know was something which i could uh, connect to. there is the uh, there's a thing you know, talking about the upanishads which is you know is my uh, as I say, my passion and another thing is talking about going to adyar which is you know the adyar library in the research sector and everything And so it triggers up a lot of memories every word in it Triggers of something uh, that everybody could really connect to. So that you know, making connection is something which is unique about Bharanya. And the second thing is it's not just the language, but he tries to convey something much more to each person, saying that he is actually talking about in this whole thing the taming of the mind. Which is uh, very, very subtly mentioned um, subtly conveyed taming of the mind. And in one place he just says uh, there is a voice that tells him a celestial voice that tells him it's not possible for you to destroy your mind. And if you have to enter into this world of truth, you have to leave your mind behind and come here. So. So everything takes the personality as a personality of its own in this, and that is something with, uh, which really appealed to me.
1: What was your process like translating text? Tell us a bit about that process.
0: Um, this particular text, it initially, I just had to understand what exactly he was trying to say. Initially, I just took it at the face value, just reading and to do it. But the more I went into it, the more the uh, other thing, uh, messages that were hidden in it were surfing up. And so I had to really attune myself to that underlying message while this uh, translation had to be done. So, there, what I did was to go for a word-for-word translation to remain faithful to the text. Generally, I come across another translation uh, much after my writing this translation. I came across another translation which was written many years ago by one professor Mahadevan and it was published by the Textbook uh, Corporation of Tamil Nadu. And uh, there I I found that it was more, uh, I mean, he has resorted to paraphrasing in many places rather than actually, you know, so there were passages were, that uh, seemed to have been left out in the translation, but I thought I should not leave out anything and so the challenge was to keep the cultural sensibilities also intact while I was translating, which is difficult to know from one language to another because there are cultural differences also between when we translate from one to another.
1: I'm intrigued actually. Uh, why did uh, your, your, your predecessor, I mean your, your translation predecessor, why were certain passages omitted? It's not a particularly lengthy work, it's manageable, so so why were, were entire passages not translated?
0: Uh, see, I, I don't know why, he, uh, why it was done so by that uh, professor, but um, one thing uh, that I come across in many of these translations are people tend to just take the general sense and uh, Uh, not go into the particular uh, words. So there was this uh, linguist, American linguist, um, some Eugene Nida who has uh, said, uh, talked about what is this uh, uh, dynamic equivalence and formal equivalence. The dynamic equivalence is more of a sense to sense, sense for sense translation. And what I attempted is the word for word translation, which uh, uh, Nida terms as the formal equivalence. So I think that is what I have attempted. Uh, the formal equivalence in this uh, translation of this work.
1: So, then your translation is the only English translation which uh, conveys word to word what the Tamil is saying. Would you agree? Yes.
0: Yes, I can say that very confidently about my work. And uh, one more thing is uh, um, the other, uh, the Professor Narayan Mahadevan's uh, translation is obviously based on one uh, very easily available edition whereas i have managed to go into so many other uh, editions and not editions but uh, he um, had published this work as a he had started publishing it as a serial in the beginning in a journal and then it stopped after a few uh, episodes but The prefaces and other descriptions he gives there are not repeated in the book. So I went through all that, put them together. So this book itself, this text itself, which I am presenting, would be a critically edited version of the text from so many sources that I could lay my hands on. And therefore, the translation also is based on the critical edition of the text.
1: Fascinating. So in your view... uh... Who might, most, uh, who might most benefit from this um, um, in terms of certainly lay people interested in literature, but in terms of uh, fields of study, uh, who might most uh, benefit from looking at this translation?
0: First of all, people who don't know Tamil but would like to see it. And secondly, people who want to study Bharatiya, who want to know who this person is. They are certain. Benefits. And almost all research scholars who want to get into the different facets of this, it offers enormous opportunities. There are too many aspects in it, which can open out you know, avenues for research and a volumeless book in itself. So I think you know, too many people, and especially this translation is the uh, uh, in the words of uh, this uh, Professor Indira Parthasarathy who was given the foreword to this book, uh, it is it will definitely benefit the international readers. And it will Fantastic. take a to the international arena is what uh, Professor Indira Parthasarathy told me when he read the book, when he read my translation.
1: Excellent. Is this... Um... Is this work that you hope to develop at some point? Or is this a figure that you will continue your research on? Or ha- have your interests changed for the next project?
0: Uh, see, Basically, I have been uh, so far into very serious uh, uh, works on Vedanta. This is the first one I uh, took up. A, a fiction is, uh, is, this is the first fiction I have taken up for translation. And I took it up, you know, because it is uh, the 100th death anniversary of Goswabar So it was my tribute to him. But what I uh, have to complete, because I've already taken up a few projects on, on Vedanta-related texts, so I would have to complete all of them. And I don't know if something comes my way as intense as this and as interesting as this, I may take up another fiction or poetry for translation. But most of the works that I'm already doing in Vedanta are all poetic. They're all in verse sponsor poetic or uh, there could be even commentaries which I'm translating. So um, This also happens to have a lot of Vedanta in it, so it was interesting for me to go along with it and do translation.
1: Was there anything else about the translation or the work itself that you hope we touch on today?
0: Yes. Uh, one thing is I would like to touch upon my contribution in this work. The thing is, especially I was very, very uh, very conscious of the cultural differences, the cultural uniqueness of of our country, uh, India and the Tamilians, as well as how it is conveyed to a non tamilian or a non-Indian. So I had to be very careful about how it is taken, especially the words. And there are so many uh, descriptions he gives to pro- project our cultural and religious uh, uh, sentiments. For example, there are uh, what are the different types of sports and pa- pastimes which are very unique to the Tamil culture and not known elsewhere. And there are also uh the the religious uh, sensibilities and in one in one in one uh, portion there is an overlapping of the hindu religion and the cultural yeah, indian culture for example the varnashrama dharma he handles it very very carefully and uh, i think very sensibly also if i may What happens? I mean, in one place he just uh, goes to a ascetic, to a teacher, to a guru, and uh, he wants to know what is it to be a Brahmin. Now that teacher starts explaining on the four varnas, and then the guru says, "See, I am a Brahmin, but I train my children according to the needs of the time, the needs of the situation." He chooses only one son in the Brahminical duties and the other sons towards uh, Shatriya to be a warrior or uh, to go and uh, to merchandise. He just says, it is necessary for a Brahmin to know all these dharmas and teach them and you have to develop, produce such people as, as the society needs. As the, uh, I mean, as the needs arise. For example, he says, if there is a need for more Kshatriyas, then you teach all the uh, Kshatriya texts to them. If there is a need for uh, the Vaidika duties, then you teach you know, this to them. So he says, this is what you know. First, a, a Brahmin, a Brahmin teacher should know. This is how he presents that they should know everything so it doesn't define you know a, per, a person can, uh, need not be a brahmin all the time he can be he become a Kshatriya also and that is what i am seeing now uh, when you know we are looking at the world uh, situation in one of the one of the countries which is you know, going through the aggression where i come to know that even the civilians are carrying the rifles to protect their country So this is uh, this is the message that I say it's a universal work that he has written.
1: Would you characterize him as progressive in some sense in his thinking?
0: He was very progressive for his times and even for today. How progressive? I'll tell you. He was a Brahmin by birth, but I told you he he was an honest. And what he did was he. Uh, he identified uh, uh, a non-Brahmin boy. I guess it could have been a Dalit boy. I don't know. Maybe it, whatever, Harid, whatever. was the boy's name, and he performed the Upanayanam for that boy. He taught him all the Vedas and made him uh, do the uh, Vedic duties. When it came to women empowerment, he gave you know some kind of ten commandments as to how you know uh, uh, the women should be treated because. In those days, the women were always clustered inside their houses. So, but he had, and but there he was influenced by Sister Nivedita first because he himself was like that. As a young man, when he went to study, he was also a little uh, carried by the society of that time. But once after his meeting, Sister Nivedita, she asked, Haven, uh, Haven't you brought your wife along? He said, No, we don't bring our women. He said, If half the country is going to remain indoors, how would you expect this country to progress and uh, win its independence? That was the trigger and then he went back and his wife was always his muse in everything. His wife Shalimar was his muse. And so he, he was known to take his wife openly into the public places with his arms wrapped around her or holding her hands and that was you know, ridiculed by the traditionalists, but he was very progressive one day. So, and when his daughter, uh, Tangamal, uh, whenever the guests arrived at home, he, uh, she was asked to bring water to wash their teeth. That was not the dumb thing that a girl comes out, a young girl comes out. And when you know it was time for her to get married, he wanted her to choose her. Uh, match, but uh, it was the elders and the, this one who said no. Let us find the match, and so he just relented. But he was that progressive; he was always progressive that too
1: Fascinating figure. Um, just for my curiosity, I don't know the subfields nearly as well. Obviously, is he well studied? Are there is, is he a fairly well studied figure?
0: He was. He himself uh, had studied well and he is well studied by all today. Till today. And I think for a long time, he will be studied by all.
1: Excellent. Okay, well.
0: Because he wrote, he knew several languages, several Indian languages and foreign languages. And he wrote in Tamil, English, French and other languages. Uh, not only really Tamil, in so many Indian languages, Bengali and other languages, what's the
1: Clearly, uh, <laughs> clearly uh, a, a special individual.
0: <laughs> yes, sir, but he didn't live too long. That's, uh, that, that is uh, one more unique uh, thing about him. And In a very short uh, lifespan, he has really uh, um, brought a huge uh, revolution in Indian writing.
1: Reminds me of the Puranic tale of Mrikandu. Uh, he and his wife were looking for a child and by appeasing Shiva, uh, Shiva yeah, said, well, yeah. you can have a child, but either one who lives short and is productive and wise, yeah, yeah, or, or one yeah. who lives long and is a dullard yeah. and a drunk.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is true. So I yeah.
1: suppose quality over quantity might apply even here. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you very much for appearing on the podcast today. Yes.
0: Yeah. me?
1: Thank you very much for appearing on the podcast. Today.
0: Oh, thank you, Wilma. Thanks a lot. It was my pleasure to thanks a lot
1: it's a pleasure for those of you listening uh we've been speaking with dr Radha ragunathan uh, uh, on her uh fantastic new uh, english translation uh, of an important work um um uh, in the wisdom chariot uh, sorry soaring with Bharati* in the wisdom chariot until next time stay safe stay sane keep well and uh keep reading tamil literature take care